Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that you will help us to understand your word this evening. Give us minds that can understand. Give us hearts willing to accept what you say, that we may change, put into practice what we learn from your word. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I sometimes ask my children this question. I ask them, what do you want to be when you grow up? What, what job do you want to do when you've finished all your studies? As they get older, of course, the question becomes more and more immediate. Uh, for Joel in year 12, it's getting to the point where he's got to start actually making some decisions about it. Now, now, now for the most part, uh, I, I gotta say, I don't have strong opinions about what they should do. I don't have a specific job in mind for them. It doesn't worry me if they go into a profession or, uh, or into a trade or uh, as long as they've got something constructive to do, as long as they serve Jesus, as long as they can, as the Bible says, uh, uh, provide for their families, have something to share with those in need. I, I don't mind all that much what they do. Uh, there are some things though that I really don't want them to do and uh, can I say this applies to you as well, all of you. Uh, so this evening let me give you a, a bit of vocational guidance uh, here is one thing that you definitely don't want to be when you grow up. A false teacher of religion. Uh, a, a false teacher. From, from a biblical perspective, it is right up there with priest of Baal as a job you do not want to have. Uh, Jesus himself, he pronounced all kinds of woes against false teachers. At one point, Jesus said of false teachers, he said this. This is Jesus' words. He says, these men will be punished most severely. Friends, get a job in a call centre, be a garbage man, be a parking cop, jo join the circus as far as I'm concerned. Whatever you do, don't be a false teacher. So how can you avoid it? How can you avoid being a false teacher of religion? In one sense, if you think about it, uh, you're going to teach religion whether you like it or not. Even if you don't have a formal position, by the way you live your life, by the words that you say, you're going to teach the people around you what you think about Jesus. So how can you avoid being a false teacher? One thing that will help is if you can know this. What is it that motivates people to be false teachers? Now, most people don't grow up wanting to be a false teacher. I think if you ask the average child, what do you want to be when you grow up, you will very rarely, if ever, hear the answer, I would like to grow up and be a false teacher. I would love to lead people astray from the truth about God. It's not really something that people aspire to. And yet the Bible is perfectly clear that the world and the church are plagued by false teachers. So what is it that leads people down this path? Did you see the issue that we're talking about? What is it that motivates people to become false teachers? How can we avoid the pitfalls? How can we guard ourselves against becoming false teachers? 
We've seen uh, numerous times in our studies through this book of 1 Timothy that the churches in Ephesus were suffering under false teaching. That's why, do you remember, it's why Paul left Timothy there back in chapter 1. He said, I've left you there in, in Ephesus to deal with some of the false teachers, to get them to stop their false teaching, particularly uh, they were teaching false things about God's law and how to be saved. And then uh, later on in the letter, chapter 2, chapter 3, Paul tells Timothy to replace them with appropriately qualified men who can teach the truth and, and direct the churches faithfully. It's been a big theme in the letter, false teaching. Now as we come into chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, Paul is again telling Timothy, you've got to insist on true teaching. The kind of teaching that he's been outlining in the letter so far, the truth about Jesus saving us by grace as we learn from the scriptures. 1 Timothy chapter 6 and the last part of verse 2, have a look with me. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the last part of verse 2, Paul says, these are the things, the things he's been talking about so far, these are the things you were to teach and insist on. Timothy's got to stick with the truth. And now Paul reflects again on the false teachers in Ephesus. And he reflects now on their, their motivations. First thing he says about them, first thing he says about them is that they are conceited. They're, they're, they're puffed up, swollen with pride. And he says they have an unhealthy interest in controversy. Now, Reality is, we all like to win an argument. Um, I usually win them in my mind long after the argument has happened. I think of all the good things I should have said to have won the argument. We all like to win an argument, and it holds true with theology. Hopefully we care about theology. I mean, Paul has already said to Timothy and to us that we've got to watch our doctrine closely. Do you remember that? We ought to watch our doctrine closely. Hopefully we care that our doctrine is accurate. And so it's good for us to talk about it. It's good for us to discuss theology. It's good for us to work out what the words of the Bible mean. It's good for us to debate about it. It's good for us to have our views challenged and corrected. It's good for us to correct other people when they've got false ideas. But it's easy through our conceit to let an interest in theological debate become an unhealthy interest in controversy. Do, do you know what I mean? Probably you've seen this happen in Bible studies or something like that. Uh, maybe someone's just delighting in being the devil's advocate or maybe it's, it's something that you know in, in your own experience that you've done. You start to enjoy the argument rather than genuinely seeking the truth. You start to feel pride in your theological knowledge. Gee, I really got in there tonight in that Bible study. Or I'm pretty sure everyone was impressed with that prayer that I prayed. You know, a, I mean, I know it's something that I've struggled with over the years. It's a big issue for theological students, a big issue for ministers. Somewhere, you, you cross that line from wanting to seek the truth to wanting to show off. Pride comes in, conceit, and suddenly you're not so open to being corrected, to being shown up when you're wrong. Also, also tribalism comes in. You start to identify yourself with a certain theological camp, maybe Presbyterian or Calvinist or something like that, and your identity gets tied up with it, and suddenly again it becomes hard to change your mind even when you're presented with the truth. You don't want to look like a fool. You don't want to kind of lose the, the popularity of this group that you're now part of. And so when, you, when your argument is weaker, you fight harder. You shout louder. And, and this conceit, this desire to be popular and, and, 
have accolades. It's even more dangerous when it's tied up with ignorance. Paul talks about these false teachers understanding nothing. If you're not willing to think harder than a soundbite on TV, if you get your theology from something that you've read on Facebook or something like that, and then when you combine that with pride and wanting to win an argument, you are a disaster waiting to happen. You are a false teacher in the making. You're not only ignorant, but you're ignorant and proudly disinclined to change your mind. You're ignorant and and you're wanting in your conceit to bring other people across to your ignorance with your lovely Facebook posts or whatever they are. You've become a false teacher. So here are these false teachers in Ephesus. They're conceited, more interested in winning an argument and looking good than humbly seeking the truth, willing to be corrected. Verse 3. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words. As you expect, these kinds of people don't don't help a church to humbly seek the truth. They don't create unity and peace. Instead, they cause conflict and strife. It's all about them. Keep reading in verse 4. This, they have this unhealthy interest in controversies, quarrels about words. Here's the result. That result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people. And now Paul comes back to talk more about these false teachers. And, and, and now he reveals their second big problem... He says their minds are corrupted and they've been robbed of the truth and the thing that's corrupted them, the thing that's robbed them of the truth is this. Here's their second big problem. It's greed. They think there's money to be made from religion. They want to make a profit from being teachers of religion. Still in verse 5, friction between people of corrupt mind, friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think, or more literally, thinking, this is actually the reason, thinking, they've been corrupt mind, they've been robbed of the truth, because they're thinking that godliness is a means to financial gain. Uh, one of our elders is a man called Sean Harding. Sean studied at Bible College many, 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 many years ago, and at Bible College his lecturer told him there are three big enemies to ministers, and he called them the three Gs. He said, you've got to learn the three G's. Uh, girls, gold, and glory. Well, here are the last two. Glory, uh, these false teachers conceitedly love to win arguments, and gold. These false teachers think they can make money. Uh, the churches at Ephesus, they're plagued by these false teachers. And so now in the rest of the section, what Paul does, he tells Timothy how to avoid falling into the same traps that the false teachers have fallen into. How to avoid becoming a false teacher. Uh, so first he talked about conceit, then about, then about uh, greed. Now he, he addresses them in opposite order. He talks about greed and then about conceit. So first he addresses the issue of greed. He says the solution, solution to greed is to seek godliness with contentment. Uh, Seek God for God's sake. Don't worry about what it's going to mean for your wallet. Verse 6. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Contentment is the key. 
Because, Paul goes on to say, the love of money, the desire to get rich, it is spiritually deadly. It's poison spiritually. Its road is littered with ex-Christians. Verse 9. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Okay. First big motivator for false teachers, greed. What's the answer? Cultivate godliness with contentment. Paul now talks to Timothy about uh, the other pitfall of false teachers. Do you remember what it was? The other one was conceit, the pitfall of pride. And what Paul does, he calls on Timothy to pursue godliness and righteousness and faith. You know, get, get your doctrine right, but he balances it. He says, yeah, yeah, get your doctrine right, but do it with love and with patience and with gentleness. The word gentleness can also be translated humility, humility. He says, yes, strive for righteousness, strive for godliness, strive to get your faith correct, but not with pride and a desire to win the argument. No, no, with love for people, patience and humility. Verse 11, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. And then Paul says to Timothy, you've got to press on. You've got to stick with your faith in Jesus. You've got to grasp the eternal life that comes by grace through Jesus alone. And Paul, he reminds Timothy of what he calls his good confession. His good confession of Jesus. We don't know exactly when it happened. Maybe it was back when Timothy was converted or, or when he was baptized or maybe when he was set apart for ministry. But at some stage, Timothy, in front of a whole heap of witnesses, he confessed that Jesus is the king. Paul says, it's great, Timothy, but but you know what? Jesus himself made a similar good confession when he confessed before Pontius Pilate that he's the king in God's kingdom. But the thing is this, Jesus' confession didn't win him any accolades. Jesus' confession didn't make him popular. No, no, Jesus' confession led to his humiliation and death on the cross. So, Timothy, why would you expect any different? The call here is for Timothy to follow Jesus' example, to cultivate a godliness with humility, to be faithful even if it means suffering, to be faithful even if he looks like a fool, to be faithful even if, like with Jesus, it means death. The call is to love Jesus to the very end more than image, more than pride, more than life itself. Verse 12. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul finishes off our section tonight by reminding Timothy just of the greatness of God. And how it is God who deserves to be honoured. You see, it may be that the whole world is against you, Timothy, if you stand up for Jesus. It may be that you get no honour, that you look like a fool in front of everybody. Whoopee. Whoopee. Your honour doesn't matter that much. No, no, God is the one who is great. It is God 
whose honour matters, still in verse 14, uh, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Okay, can you see what's here in this passage then? Paul's discussing the motives of these false teachers. First, there's conceit. They love to win an argument, popular. And second, there's the love of money. And then Paul helps Timothy to avoid these two pitfalls. How do you avoid the love of money? Cultivate godliness with contentment. And how do you avoid conceit? You cultivate godliness with humility following the example of Jesus, ready to be humiliated, even to suffer, to stand firm in him. Friends, as we think about applying the passage to ourselves, I've got to say, I don't reckon much has changed. Do you? Still today, these two things are spiritually deadly. Still today, these two things are leading people away from Jesus, are leading people to believe wrong things about Jesus, leading people to teach wrong things about Jesus. Still today, these two things could lead us away from Jesus, to believe and teach the wrong things. So let's think about them in turn. First, we'll deal with the love of money, and then we'll deal with conceit. So first, the love of money. The fact is, there is money to be made in religion. Many people think that religion is important, it meets deep human needs, and people are willing to pay to have those needs met. Uh, L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology, is famously rumoured to have said this. He said, you don't get rich writing science fiction. If you want to get rich, you start a religion. That's what he did. got very rich. Uh, There is money to be made from religion. And, And so we've got to be careful. We've got to be careful that we don't let our greed influence what we believe we don't let our greed influence what we teach and the most obvious modern example of the love of money distorting theology is what is called the prosperity gospel Uh, very common in many places in the world it's the idea that if you rely on jesus and you give generously to a particular preacher or church that god will bless you here and now with uh, good health and, and lots of money and happiness It's a false theology. It's just not true. God makes no such promises for this life. In fact, the very opposite. Jesus says, in this life we will have trouble. Paul says that if you want to be genuinely godly, you've got to expect to suffer. But more than that, it's a theology that is built on greed. Preachers make these promises so people will give them money. And people believe these promises because they want to get money. There's an obvious example. But there's plenty of more subtle stuff. Uh, Lots of ways that our love of money can distort what we believe and teach. And certainly uh, today we still see people, people from our own congregation, who like Paul says there in verse 10, have wandered from the faith because they're eager for money. Far too often I've seen it happen here, sadly. Uh, People like the thorny soil in Jesus' parable. Remember the parable of the soils, the thorny soil? 
we see people who, for the love of money, uh, pursue work and perhaps their work takes them overseas and they get out of the habit of being in church while they're overseas or, or perhaps they're, they're so focused and fixated on their work that they, that they, they stop the fellowship of God's people and eventually people drift away. Friends, the love of money is deadly. Don't underestimate it. Don't underestimate it. Don't think you're immune to it. It could lead you astray. Could make you a false teacher. So what do we need to do? Cultivate godliness with contentment. How do we do that? Well, it's not easy, uh, but there are lots of good ideas in this passage. So have a look with me. First, have a look in verse 7. There's a good idea to help us cultivate godliness with contentment. Verse 7, the idea that we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out, that's worth remembering, isn't it? What's that thing that you really are longing for at the moment? That thing that you've maybe gone into debt for or the thing that you're dreaming about? You know what? It's not going to last. You can't take it with you. All those things that we dream about having, even if you get them, you only get them for a short time. Soon you have to leave them to your ungrateful children. It's, it, it's not going to fix your life now. And, and, and it certainly won't fix your eternity. A second thought there in verse 8. Uh, if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. If you just stop and think about it, God has given us way more than we need. There is no excuse for people like us to not be content. Honestly, we have so much more than we would ever need. We've got to remember that. The other, just during the week as I was reflecting on, on this talk, I, just, I was lying in bed in the morning, I thought, I'm just going to think through everything that I own and thank God for it. It took a really long time and I didn't even work through all the CDs individually and all the DVDs individually. <laughs> and it took a really long time. Uh, we should regularly... Thank God for the good things that we have. It's not a bad idea to take a bit of an inventory, an end of financial year inventory or something like that. And we should say to God day by day, God, you have been so generous to me. Seriously, I have got way more than I need. Thank you. It's just no excuse to not be generous, to not be um, content for us. Generous is next week. Third thought, third thoughts there in verses 9 to 10. Uh, you've got to realise how dangerous lack of contentment is. It, it can lead you astray from Jesus. So it, it's about doing the maths. What we have in Jesus, incredibly valuable, eternally valuable. What, what we have in him will last forever and be magnificent forever. You could lose it if you fixate on getting this thing that you want here on earth. It, 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 you could lose it through the love of money. It could lead you astray. So see the danger and avoid it. Final thought, there in verses 14 to 15, it's just about recognising how magnificent God is. If we could see that he's the, the, the king of kings, the lord of lords, the, the alone immortal one, living in unapproachable light, and you think about how magnificent he is and how glorious it is that I will be with this God through the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I reckon if we really focused on that, the stuff of this world would fade in significance, wouldn't it? It's, it's like that old song says the things of earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. How do we get contentment? I think meditating on the greatness of God will help us. If I can just add one idea of my own, or one idea that's not in this passage here, 
Uh, one of the big enemies I find of contentment is uh, comparing myself to the people around me. Don't you reckon? Um, if we're going to be content, we're going to have to stop keeping up with the Joneses, as the saying goes. It doesn't matter if they've got an iPhone 49 and you've got only a 48 or whatever we're up to at the moment. It, it, friends, we, it, it just doesn't matter that much. Friends, we need to recognise the great gain of godliness with contentment and then it's something to pray for, something to think about, something to talk about, something to, to strive to have. All right, that was the first big danger, the love of money. A second big danger, can you remember what it was? The second big danger is conceit. That's still an issue, isn't it? Uh, especially for those of us who take theology seriously, it's very easy for us to get proud about our theology. I remember I was talking to Rebecca Earnshaw a couple of years ago. Some of you would remember Rebecca. She used to be our, our kids worker here at church, and she, as kids workers I want to do, went off overseas to do a PhD in Hebrew theology. Um, she was telling me about the, the dangers of doing a PhD in theology. So the thing with, with a PhD, the markers are looking for you to come up with something new, something revolutionary, something that will change the theological world. But, but the fact is, 2,000 years down the track uh, of church history, the vast majority of new ideas are heretical ideas. That the, 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 the true ones have already been thought of hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And, and so many people, their, their PhD is so important, they end up becoming heretics. They, they, will, they will find something different and new that is heretical because you can't just be boring and faithful to the Bible. And their desire to, to, to have something new, to, to be successful in their PhD, outweighs their desire to be faithful and just in time to become lecturers in Bible colleges that become they become false teachers a sad fact it's not just people who do PhDs though is it, it happens to us as well doesn't it now, you often feel it in Bible studies uh, or, or even in conversation it's certainly an absolute plague on social media now, social media is full of ignorant people who for some conceited reason seem to think that their ignorance should be publicly aired that's the essence of social media, isn't it? Ignorant people conceitedly airing their ignorance. Um, I mean, all of, us, all of us want to be seen as clever. It used to only be on talkback radio, but now it's all over social media. Uh, all of us want to be seen as clever. Uh, all of us want to win arguments. All of us are proud. Our friends, again, don't underestimate it. It's a real danger. It's a danger for you and a danger for me that we will stop listening to the truth because our pride is in the way. So how can we follow what Paul says to Timothy here? How can we cultivate uh, a serious godliness and a desire to know the truth, but cultivate that with humility? How can we be willing to, to be seen even as a fool or to suffer for just being plodding along in faithfulness? It's actually not an easy question to answer, but, but let me give you three quick suggestions. Uh, first, it's good just to be aware of the danger. Forewarned is forearmed, as they say. We've got to be aware that we are proud people and that we easily want to identify ourselves with, with a crowd or something like that. We've got to keep reminding ourselves faithfulness, faithfulness to the truth is more important than my image. Faithfulness to the truth is more important than what other people think of me. Faithfulness to the truth is the most important thing and so I'll go where the Bible takes me. Um, second, this is another good thing to pray about. We should repent of our pride. We should confess it to God, ask him to forgive us, ask him to change us. Uh, ask God to help us be faithful and humble and teachable. 
I think I told you all, all a while ago that uh, I went to a minister's conference uh, a year or two ago, and that morning I prayed, God, at this minister's conference, if I'm going to say something that is intended to make me look good in front of all the other ministers, help me not to say it. I was silent for the entire day. We should ask God to help us be humble and teachable. And, and then third, um, it's good to watch how we're feeling Generally speaking, I find that my feelings are an excellent gauge of what I should not be doing. Uh, let, me, let me give you a couple of examples. Uh, if I'm in a theological argument in Bible study, and I'm loving it, I'm enjoying myself, everyone's looking at me like Jeff knows what he's talking about, uh, I'm feeling good, it's generally a sign that I'm showing off and being proud and I probably should shut up. But... If I'm in a theological debate and everyone's whinging about how Christians are, about, are so terrible or something like that and I'm squirming in my seat and I'm wishing the ground would swallow me up and I, I'm desperate to just be anywhere else and desperate to stay silent, that's probably the time I should be brave and speaking up for Jesus. Do you, do you know what I mean? The, the right thing to do is generally the exact opposite of what I feel like doing. Friends, one thing we don't want to be is false teachers. And here are two big dangers, the love of money and conceit. So what do we need to do? Cultivate godliness with contentment. Cultivate godliness with humility. Contentment and humility. Let's pray. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you because you've been so amazingly kind to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that in him we have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. We thank you that also you've seen fit to generously give us all of the stuff that we have where we have no reason to not be content will you please help us by your spirit to find great contentment in christ and to be godly with contentment and heavenly father people like us who are saved by your grace alone have no reason to be conceited or proud we are nothing but sinners saved by grace so would you please help us to have the kind of humility that will make us willing to be corrected are willing to stick with the truth, even if we look like fools or even if it means suffering. Help us in this by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.